0: Welcome to the Remote Podcast presented by Ludwig van. I am Michael Zerithus Cook. Thank you to everyone who checked out episode 5 with Tapestry Opera's artistic director Michael Mori. That was a very fun chat. If you've not had a chance yet, please do give it a listen. It's available on the Ludwig van website as well as on Spotify. Please share, subscribe. We are definitely counting on your word of mouth to help grow our audience. I am back at it again for a truly exciting conversation, this time with the electrifying Daniel Bartholomew Poyser. Daniel is the Barrett Principal Education Conductor and Community Ambassador for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Uh, Listening to him talk about the direction he'd like to see the TSO go in terms of making the most of the 3.8 Million dollar donation by the Barrett Family Foundation is, for me at least, living proof of why it makes sense to include diverse perspectives at the decision making table. Uh, Daniel has a wealth of knowledge about the classical music industry in Canada. And he backs that up with a wealth of energy that is needed to realize some of his ideas. Uh, I think the TSO is very, very lucky to have him as a community ambassador. And I am especially looking forward to the enactment of what this new phase of their community outreach will be. If you'd like to learn more about Daniel, which uh, you should, he's got a very interesting story, then do check out his documentary with the CBC titled Disruptor Conductor. Uh, It is streaming now on CBC Gem. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I really, really appreciate the support. Please remember to share it uh, far and wide uh, and like and subscribe as well. Enjoy. Welcome again to episode six of The Remote Podcast. It is my pleasure to be joined by Daniel Bartholomew Poyser, who is the Barrett Principal Education Conductor and Community Ambassador for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hi, Michael. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Uh, Not too bad. It is a beautiful Friday that we're recording this. I must say that your newly acquired title is, is quite the mouthful, but but in all fairness, so is the $3.8 million donation that the Barrett Foundation made to the TSO uh, last month. And by the way, congratulations uh, in that regards. Uh, for those who are hearing this for the first time, perhaps you could talk a bit about what this role entails and, and how it's changed after this do- uh, donation.
1: My role is I'm the... Barrett, Principal Education Conductor and Community Ambassador. And what the role is, is I'm a conductor. Um, What's special about the role is a number of different things. Conductor is in the middle of it, and it's in the middle of the title as well, too, the words that are there. And I think that's important. Across North America, orchestras are realizing that the position of the education conductor, the position of the person who works with who works in part with the young people, the person who's crafting a vision for what the educational programming should look like is no longer um, sufficiently done by somebody who is hoping to be on their way to uh, on on their way solely to music director on their way to, you know, something else Mm -hmm. Um, that it's an actual, it's an actual destination in addition to being a position that, Uh, That younger conductors often fill. So, what I mean by that is um, more focus is being placed on the position of the education conductor. So I spent 10 years teaching. I spent 10 years teaching in the classroom. Right. So when I'm doing an education concert, um, it's informed by those 10 years in the classroom. And people see it. So teachers, when they see me conduct in those concerts in that context, uh, they go, hey, You were a teacher, right? Because they can tell. Right, right. Tell. So what's special is that Toronto said this is a position that we want to invest in and make it something more than just we want to have a principal education conductor and there are very like a uh, national art center orchestra uh naco in ottawa they have an a principal education conductor toronto does but it's pretty rare it's pretty rare so the mm-hmm. first thing is the toronto Symphony orchestra has said that we value and it's not about me it's about the the organization saying we value young people such that we're going to create a new position for mm-hmm. people of the city and find somebody who can fill that position. And that is principal education conductor. So my job is to make sure that the educational programming that comes to all the young people in the city is relevant, is fun, is engaging and effective. That's my job. Amazing, so, That. Oh wait, but I'm not, but wait, there's oh, more. Oh, very good. The community ambassador part of it is about um, just being in the community, being the community face for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, uh, going out in the community, liaising with diff- all different like it's such a multi like one of like, this is one of the most if not the most multicultural city in the world. So understanding that on a personal level, which is tricky. Mm-hmm. COVID, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Oh yeah. And Seeing where our orchestra, the needs of the community, link up with what the orchestra can. Provide that's the community ambassador part, and then the Barrett part is the Barretts have so generously and so with such tremendous foresight decided to support the orchestra at this at, at this junction at this part of the orchestra uh, with a 3.8 million dollar gift with which we should be seeing tremendous growth in education and outreach as they have allotted the the funds for that. So that is the job of the Barrett Principal Education Conductor and Community Ambassador, which at this point in time is myself. Amazing. Um... And we'll definitely
0: be getting into the specifics of some of the uh, organizations in the city that uh, allows you to express and uh, enact uh, the community engagement you just talked about. Uh, As I'm sure many of the interviews that you've been doing recently, you can't get past the pandemic uh, topic. So that's where we'll sort of uh, start here. Uh, I've been doing these interviews since the pandemic started. And, and lately, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about, oh, I get to finally move uh, away from the topic of the pandemic because, you know, orchestras are starting back up. Life is starting to resemble some version of normal. Unfortunately, it looks like we're heading back to where we were uh, in May uh, in June. and June. And speaking of pandemic disruptions. You, for example, were supposed to debut with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra and the Regina Symphony this year. Uh, I imagine these engagements are merely postponed. How has the pandemic affected your priorities within the larger Toronto arts community Uh, as a musician, as a a performer on stage? um, What has this year sort of meant to you in terms of realizing uh, your dream of being a, a conductor?
1: So I was in Washington working on Blue, which is an opera by Janine Tesori and Tezwell Thompson. And it's an opera about an African-American police officer whose son is shot by another police officer. And what that does to their family and all the issues around it. That was in March. And the day uh, the, the dress rehearsal was supposed to be March 13th. And we were basically sitting in restaurants, swiping, swiping, swiping. Uh, our phones, re- refreshing, refreshing our phones um, to just see like what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And the di- the minute, like just minutes before the dress rehearsal, everything got shut down. The Kennedy Center got shut down. So we didn't get to have the performances of Blue, the opera, which is gutting. And the music still, it was a very strange experience um, because you prepare the music and you prepare and you, I was, and it was, I was cover conductor for uh, John Domain. And you prepare the music and, and you prepare it inside of yourself, and it lives inside of you. And you work so hard on the project for weeks, and then to not see it come to fruition is so gutting. That was very, very difficult. And then having to drive back in the middle of the pandemic, because you know everybody's so scared and the roads are closed. Uh, my debuts with Regina, debuts with Baltimore, debuts with Detroit all got cancelled, postponed. We're in talks as well, but... A new year is a new year. Nothing is confirmed yet. I've been asked by some other prestigious American orchestras to do some work, uh, and that was also that was for the end of the season. That was also canceled. It's been very it's been very difficult, but it's been difficult for everybody, which makes it a little bit less difficult because we're all kind of going through it together, all of us as artists. Then where there have been opportunities, um, sorry, where there, where there have been, you know, things taken away from us, there have also been opportunities. So very early in the pandemic, early COVID, pre-George Floyd, uh, Jeffrey Beecher, who's principal bass of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, uh, created Penelope and the Wolf, which is a take on Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, and did just some incredible, like everybody was coming out with these videos where the orchestra plays together. And I feel that Jeffrey really blew it out of the water in terms of what the TSO did early on with Penelope and the Wolf, it was really, really remarkable. And then the education portion of the TSO, we really picked it up, getting uh, our different programs out, sound advice where young people can learn from individual musicians, because we had this gap where we weren't playing. So now there was opportunity and time for us to do all the other things that are on our wish list that mm-hmm. we can't do. So we did those things. And um, if you look at the, and yet yeah, here's an advertisement for the TSO.ca Education. <laughs> part of the website because I'm really proud of it so blatantly I will advertise, please go to tso.ca slash education. Take a look. Let's take a look. I'm so proud of what in a pandemic we've been able to do. It's really, really wonderful. So, um, There have been things taken away from us. There have also been opportunities that have been afforded us. And I think we've done our best to take care of those opportunities and to maximize them.
0: No problem at all with the advertising. We're happy to have that here on remote. Um, It's nevertheless been a busy fall uh, for you and for the TSO at large. What sort of digital performances have you been involved in in lieu of live performances uh, recently
1: and, and in the near future? So I've been involved in a number of different live performances. Uh I've been performing with Kitchener Waterloo Symphony. Am I allowed to talk about that? Is this TSO? Yeah, sure. We're all Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, yeah. TSO and Kitchener waterloo Symphony. So I've been doing concerts with them. Um with the TSO we did a drive in concert, which was fantastic with Shakura Saida. Um the first ladies of soul. Uh, sing the music of Whitney Houston and Nina Simone and Sisters Edith Tharp and so many others. Um, it was such a, it was a great concert at the drive-in, at City View Drive-In. That was really fun, actually, you know, getting everybody together, live music, it was outdoors, but seeing people in their cars, uh, knowing that they're dancing along the cars, that was great. And then we also did a Halloween show, which we're very proud of. I believe it's the industry's first found footage horror movie slash concert so it's a a movie concert and what it was is basically the TSO the Toronto Symphony Orchestra meets Blair Witch Project but not scary because it was for young kids right sort of an idea so it was half a movie and half a concert and blurring the lines between a movie and a concert it was really stressful to put together because we did it on three weeks you know three no that's an exaggeration let's say we did it on five weeks but you know, it's this an organization where usually the script for a concert that I might be using is finished four months in advance. The script, the pieces are picked, six, seven, eight months, nine months in advance. And, you know, on five weeks we went from zero to an industry first found footage horror movie concert. So proud of that. Uh, we did really well. There's one school board that showed it to all of their young people in the entire, um, I think we've got like 88 schools, one school board, plus just you know regular people taking a look at it. That was a big coup. I think um, in terms of this job and in terms of what I'm doing, that was something that's very, very different for the industry, um, showing what an education concert can look like. Is it just somebody standing with a sheet of paper introducing pieces or can it be something that is entertaining for young people mm. and older people and is educational and is genre um, genre defining that blurs differences but blurs differences between genres really really proud of all the work that the entire team uh, put together on that. Sort of switching to
0: education and outreach side of things, especially uh, in the context of the Barrett Family Foundation's donation, Uh, one of the more salient points that Matthew Loden, the artistic director of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, made uh, in our conversation for episode three of this podcast was that the TSO was reorienting uh, to go to the community around it rather than you know, the other way around, especially in the context of of the pandemic and everything else that's happened socially uh, this year. And the recently launched initiative with the YMCA seems like the poster child for that Mm. sentiment. Uh, Perhaps you could talk a bit about your particular involvement with the YMCA uh, in this context, and what this project means
1: to you personally. So the YMCA connection is one of a number of connections that we have with different organizations in the city. And it's really, really important one because the YMCA touches so many people, so many different groups all around the entire, the entire GTA. So there are four major programs that we have with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and the YMCA. Number one is connecting with seniors, connecting with newcomers, supporting 2 LGBTQ plus youth, and then black youth. So one of the things, um, if, if, if it sounds like I'm being vague or deliberately vague, it's because I am. One of the things that we're trying to avoid doing is something one of my great friends, Catherine Carlton, um who's the head of orchestras canada calls kit and run where we see a problem we see an opportunity and we say okay great we're gonna run in and provide them a toolkit or provide them with something really simple and then we run away and feel like we have done a good job and the question we need to ask ourselves is not what makes us feel like we're making a difference but what looks like a meaningful difference to the community that we're attempting to serve from their perspective so um When we say that the Toronto Symphony Youth Orchestra will engage with viewers in different meaningful interactions throughout the year, it's because we're leaving space to be responsive to the needs of the people. And that's one of the big things that's changed, one of the big things that has changed in orchestra land, uh, which is that it's no longer just, okay, come down to the hall, um, dress up and come down to the hall and sit in complete silence and adore this music, although there is still that and there always will be that and there always should be that but only if there's also the ability for others to have access to music in different ways that fit with their cultural understandings, that fit with their traditions, their norms as well too. Because, uh, and this gets into some things like black music and and like diversity initiatives, um, the orchestra is a library of sound that can be applied to so many different forms and types and structures of music, so many cultures and meet so many people in this different way or in different ways. So that is the direction that things are going. So we have connecting with seniors, it's four programs, connecting with seniors, connecting with newcomers, supporting 2SLGBTQ plus youth and black youth. Um, newcomers at the YMCA are already engaging in a number of different programs. We hope that they would become familiar with music of the Y. And as we do things in smaller ensembles, it's always possible for us to investigate and learn more about different world musics and then supporting uh 2 LGBTQ plus youth we'll be working with the Sprout House having a chamber concert series there and also I'll be providing mentorship sessions with some of the young people that are at the Sprout House which will be happening soon excellent and then finally black youth um you know, <laughs> Black youth, what are we going to be doing with Black youth? We're working on it right now. Um, this is it going to be a concert series for Black History Month, uh, minimally, and then all throughout the year, there'll be different initiatives, just in terms of like, you know, I guess two things, like what can we as a TSO do in terms of Black music and in terms of Black classical composers, but also Black pop music. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the First Ladies of Soul concert was something along those lines, but then also what can we do for mentorship of young people, the next generation of Black conductors, Black classical musicians? How are they being um, encouraged and mentored? How are they being influenced by by the possibilities that are available to them in orchestral music? So that is something that is in the works. Yeah, that is something that, that is in the works that we're looking for, that I'm looking for feedback and ideas on. And it's currently, I mean, I have a meeting about it in an hour, so.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, in addition to these uh, initiatives, what are some prospective projects on your wish list? I imagine, you know, everyone has a list of things that they'd really like to do if three point eight million dollars came down the pipe. Um, so when it comes to education and community uh, engagement, uh, what does this donation make possible for you? Or I guess, what are the areas that you'd like to see the TSOs' uh, community engagements expand to?
1: I can say the things overall that I'd like to say without saying specifics of what or you know, specifics or give guarantees of projects that will be coming down the line. Mm-hmm. I I would like to see is in the education world, uh, the TSO is poised to be an orchestra that changes the way the world thinks about education concerts. That's what I want, is to break apart the mold of what is considered to be possible and what is expected. So the next generation of young people that grew up having seen uh, Toronto Symphony orchestra youth concerts and education concerts will have a completely different expectation of what can and should be done. So there's many different ways of doing that. I think we should absolutely take advantage of everything that this new format of online um, affords us. Yes, it takes away being in person. And yes, it takes away the excitement of going in the hall. And yes, it takes away the sound quality. Put bluntly, unless you have really good, you know, computer speakers that are attached to other um, independent speakers. But it allows us all of the, all of the beauty of, of cinematics, of, of the visual medium that we didn't have before. One of the things I've been saying since early in the pandemic is that we in the orchestral industry are now competing with Netflix on their own, uh, on their own platform. We're competing with Netflix on their own platform. Um, but one thing that we have that Netflix doesn't have is that you can watch us do an incredible movie concert and then you can see those same people who are in that movie concert performing for you in your classroom.
0: Mm.
1: Walk down the street and go to the YMCA and see those same performers that you saw on television now in your community and talk to them. And hopefully, they definitely, I mean, TSO musicians are incredible. So, you know, hopefully, and be inspired by them. Uh, and that's something that we have that Netflix doesn't have. You'll see us on the screen with absolutely high quality, like top-notch production. And then on the street, so it's that link that I think gives us an advantage. And I think as the pandemic uh changes over time and perhaps releases back to us some of the things that it's some of the uh some of the things that it's withheld, I think that those are aspects that will remain with us and that we would be wise to continue taking advantage of.
0: Excellent, excellent. I, I really like that concept of competing with Netflix on its own turf, something that I've always thought would be a, a great idea is uh if you know the TSO National Ballet, Canadian Opera Company, all band it together to create something like a, a Netflix for uh, the city's performing arts. So it sounds like um, you know that idea is also floating in other people who have a lot more influence than I do. So that's uh, looking forward to something like that coming uh, down the line. Another thing that I think and talk about quite a lot, you know, based on my own experience, is how to make minority com- uh, communities, specifically the Black community feel more comfortable in the spaces occupied by orchestral music you know that's also one of the good things about uh, online digital offerings is you get to participate in the music but you're doing it from the comfort of your own home but when we go back to being together and being in person this is something that will become even more relevant uh, obviously, this year has provided a lot of evidence that there is still a lot of friction on the topic of racial identity. Mm-hmm. And the performing arts is certainly not immune to the ugly side of that conversation. Perhaps speaking from your unique vantage as someone who belongs comfortably uh, to both communities, being you know, the classical music community and the black community, What do you think are some of the main barriers in engaging Toronto's black community in classical music? And of course you can speak Canada wide about this.
1: I've been in Toronto for a year and the majority of that year has been COVID pandemic. (laughs) So in terms of myself being in the community and understanding even, under, you know, have, even understanding where people can go to uh, or where we can go to reach people with our music, that's been a bit abbreviated. So I'm in a process of figuring that out and learning about that. One thing I can say that I've known that I believe is true is that the orchestra needs to play the the music that people enjoy and that they love and that they listen to and that they know. And I think in terms of us, um, expanding into different sorts of world musics and collaborating with artists from different genres, we have a ways to go. Um, I believe that the Black community, once we know... Well, let me me put it this way. I know a lot of Black people that love Beethoven. And I know a lot of... I know a lot of orchestral musicians who, if they really got into the music of Barron, would love it. He's a Trinidad and Calypsonian, right? They would love it. They would love it. But they don't know it. Why not? Um, if we were to do a concert, say of music by Baron or something like that, like Trinidad and Soca music, that would that would draw so many people from that community. Um, and then if we were to do it in a place where they were comfortable. It would be a big dance party, basically. That's, that's part of it. Um, that's part of it. Another thing is just access. Um, can are people able just to get to concerts? Are people able, to, like physically, to get to concerts? If they're unfamiliar with, you know, if they're in a different, totally different part of the city, it's too far. This is part of what uh, what Matthew was talking about. Matthew Loden, our CEO, was saying that we need to go to people, and it's one of the gifts of the pandemic is that it's forced us to decentralize a little bit uh, and become smaller and more nimble, like little small orchestral sports cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> driving all over the city to these community centers to these homes to these streets uh that's where that like from the Roy Thompson Hall to the city that's that's what's happened so I think that yeah we do have a ways to go in terms of what we do um with with, with black music and with um with music of different of different communities but we're, we want to do it though right like, we want to do it. So we're asking the question, like, we're not saying, oh, should we do this? No, we're saying, we're sitting around all of us saying, okay, what are we going to do next? And that's what's really important. That's what's really important, is everybody's going to do the work.
0: And obviously, if this gets done, if this is the direction that the TSO goes, that would depend and begin with uh, the incoming music uh, director. So I guess my question is, to what extent do you feel that this is a priority uh, of hits?
1: Yeah, I talked to him actually um, a month, no, maybe six weeks ago. We had a, a long conversation about all of this, and it absolutely is a priority. And he wants to see, um, you know, he wants to see the orchestra reflect the city. He absolutely does. Um, so it's a priority, and he's definitely on board. Yeah. Uh,
0: perhaps there's no there's there's a more delicate way to ask my next question, but for the sake of you know getting to the point. To what extent do you think your demographic identity has made your career achievements more difficult? Uh, at least, made it require more effort compared to your colleagues who resemble what we t- typically see as a conductor for local symphonies.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> should I? So, what I hear you asking is, has it been difficult being a black conductor?
0: yes that I try to find a more delicate way to say it, but I like your approach
1: <laughs> uh no, it hasn't actually it hasn't i'm pleased to say i'm pleased to say, and this might surprise uh this might surprise people um i and and, and now I'm the one who who needs to be or who feels the need to be delicate perhaps um, I feel like my experience has not been typical in that the racialization that I've experienced that was negative um, was it was not it was it was different in terms of where I when I grew up I was often the only black person in the room I was the only black person in the room for most of my growing up and like I elementary school high school there are maybe 10 of us or so right so what I got was not black is bad you are black therefore you are bad but what I would get was you are black black sorry I would get you are black black is good but you are not black enough daniel because you like orchestral music because you speak german because you enjoy french because you want to travel you're not black enough because you like all these nerdy things right because you care about cello that is what i got so uh and i was uh, never from black people interestingly enough right so that was the sort of like it's this sort of weird uh a very, very strange sort of sort of like racings that I encountered growing up in terms of race. But when it came to conducting, um, my family in Brooklyn and all my cousins when I was growing up and their friends who were like, you know, in in Brooklyn, like on Flatbush Avenue, they're all like, you want to be a conductor, Danny? That's fantastic. Go for it, right? And my mom and my aunt were like, oh, yeah, and you want to be a conductor? Go for it. And my, my, my teachers, all my teachers were like, oh, Dan, you want to be a conductor? Go for it the race aspect of being conductor in my experience um, with to let's name names Thunder Bay Symphony Orchestra Kitchener Waterloo Symphony Orchestra Toronto Symphony San Francisco it's been great I've had a really good experience I've had a really good experience um, I do know of musicians who are musicians of color who have not had that experience so I think that uh, I'm lucky to not have some of those some of the scars but um, I have heard horror stories. I've heard horror stories, and I'm grateful to not have that additional. I have enough baggage in my life. I'm glad I don't have orchestral racial baggage. But a lot of people really do. Mm. Um, the stories are real, and some of the, what happens is shocking. Mm. I don't think it's because I'm. I don't think it's because I'm naive to things. I'm not. Or I'm not seeing because I've, I've really thought about that. I'm like, am, am I missing? So, am I missing something? Is this? A, I, I think no. I think like because my career is still just starting and maybe I haven't been exposed. I know I haven't been exposed to some of the things that other people have been exposed to for sure. So we'll see when it happens. Um, so far I've been really lucky and I'm, and I've really enjoyed working with the people that I've worked with the conflicts and stuff that I've had. I, I don't believe have been as a result of race. Um, yeah, does that does that answer the question? It's it's a really tough question, you know. Um,
0: that's a much better answer than I can uh, that I can hope for because you know you're able to put two things side by side that I believe are, are always important in this topic, which is the subjective experience, and then the general experience, which sometimes, uh, as you've just uh, explained, are not always the same thing. I think sometimes at least for the general public, if it isn't happening to you and in front of you, it might as well not be happening. But that is, of course, uh, not the situation in real life. Um, And the other thing is, well, uh, I hope none of these things ever do happen to you because the point is you shouldn't be bracing. uh, Part of being comfortable in any space, in any career, uh, is you shouldn't be bracing for the onset of bigotry or the onset of stereotypes and so on. Um, so that, that, uh, that is an answer that definitely satisfies me. I hope it satisfies you as well.
1: This is a place where I do need to, and and I need to do some positive call outs in terms of, you know, the first professional orchestra that I conducted was Calgary Philharmonic. Um, Toronto, obviously Thunder Bay symphony nova scotia i mean okay let's talk about you know let's talk about sns in terms of okay one of the one of the really really important things in terms of inclusion and diversity is not just having black faces on stage and having black faces playing but also black decision makers is really really important so when i'm asked at the tso what do you want to do for a halloween concert and i say let's do a found footage horror movie and people say okay, we'll give it a try. That is empowering Black people. And when at Symphony Nova Scotia, okay, this and, I, I, and this is not necessarily about TSO, but this is about orchestra industry. And this is, I think, a really, really important anecdote in terms of you know giving people voice. I had a call with, um, with my boss at, at Symphony Nova Scotia and he picks up the phone and um, he calls me and he says, Daniel, I'm thinking of doing a concert. I'm thinking we're doing a concert with Maritime Bangra, who are a Bangra dancing group. Do you think you'd be able to put something like that together, like bhangra dance and orchestra. Maybe you could do a couple of arrangements and a concert of of Indian music. And I said, I thought about it for two seconds. And I said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. I can make that work. He said, good, we'll do it. Click. The 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 call was, I think, 30 to 40 seconds. But that's just trust, right? So inclusion is not just about black faces and black music. It's also about trusting black decision makers to make the right decision for organizations and that is what i've experienced so part of you know if a musician were at some point or not a musician if a musician or staff member somebody in some orchestra somewhere were to say something that was like was was wrong right i've had experiences um that would put that in a context that would that i could you know i could talk to my other you know my, my other colleagues and say wow listen to what happened they'd be aghast and appalled Right, But that, again, this is my, and I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm almost nervous, this is my descriptive experience. This is not prescriptive of, of what, well, I think it, it should be prescriptive of what happens in the industry, but this is descriptive of my experience. It's mm-hmm. descriptive of what happens. Um, for example, a colleague of mine in the United States did a session once at a conference about what to do if you're the only black person in an orchestra, where to find support, who to talk to, how to deal with the aggressions that come, how to do, and it's real, it's real right in their context it's a totally different context it's a very very real thing right mm-hmm. um so because i haven't had to deal with as much of that um i've been able to put my energy in other places now in yeah. terms of you know like the 2s lgbtq plus okay there we go There we got some baggage now you want to talk baggage? okay i got i got i got some for you well you-
0: no I'd, I'd be happy to actually have you talk about that i mean that's another very important community that you're a part of and what's been your experience in that respect
1: i would say that orchestra in general has been a very very safe place for me um apart from i'm not talking about like the it's been socially a safe place so you know i have a lot of anxiety about um, you know, I, I get stage fright and nerves and stuff like that, like everybody else. Right. Um, but in socially, it's been a very safe place. And in terms of the LGBTQ issues, it's been a safe place for me as well, too. Um, my journey to coming out was very difficult. And some of that is talked about in um, in the Disruptor Conductor documentary. Disruptor Conductor, available on CBC Gem. Uh <laughs> It is actually streaming now. Please watch it if you'd like to. That'd be great. But it just basically talks about coming out, um, being part of a community that in many ways was so wonderful and that I continue to benefit from today uh, in many ways, but that had an understanding of LGBTQ2S plus issues that was not um, conducive to my growth or not conducive to my health right? And again, I don't want to make it easy. I want to problematize it. I don't want to say that that community was, oh, like they didn't understand gay issues, therefore they're bad and blah, 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 blah. I got so much good out of that community. Um, I learned so much. I'm still friends with so many of the people who've also changed some of their understanding and some that haven't, right? It's very, very gray, Different shades of, of gray and difficulty. But as a result of that, it's become really, really important for me to work with uh, two LGBTQ plus people. Um, I'm doing some work with Rainbow Refugee, as well, too, which is an incredible organization that helps um, like uh, that helps LGBTQ plus asylum seekers all over the world. Incredibly important organization. Um, so as a result of the things that have happened in my life, that's been an important concern. And the Thorgy Thor concert that's in the Disruptor Conductor doc- documentary, um, It's part of that. Amazing. I'd like to stick
0: just for a little bit longer with the topic of diversity in conducting. It's obviously something that TSO is cognizant of. uh, Episode five uh, of Remote with uh, Tapestry uh, Opera's uh, artistic director, Michael Morey. Uh, He talked about uh, women in conducting program that Tapestry Opera and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and, and another organization that skips my mind at the moment. This is a project that, Altogether, they're developing. So what is your perception on why, nevertheless, the demographic homogeneity in the profession of conducting exists, where it's mostly men, like 90% men. That's a number that I'm approximating, but that's probably not far from the factual uh, figure. Why is it mostly white men for the most part? And and how do you see real and, and effective change coming about here, where not only are orchestras hiring more female conductors, more diverse conductors, not only in demographic, but also in musical tastes. For example, wanting to do something like the Calypso composer that you were talking about earlier. So that's another source of diversity. That and then how do we then get the public to also view female conductors and other types of diverse conductors, just as
1: any other conductor uh, that would step on stage, right? So the first part of the question I understand is why has it been the case that it is primarily white conductors, white male conductors, that have been conducting? And I think if we look at, um, that's a really. A really great question. And I think that is a question that is like a PhD thesis level question. We look at the history of Europe, <laughs> we can, uh, we can talk about many different reasons why that is, why that is the case. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's financial and social and, and, and probably psychological and cultural reasons. But what I do know is that, of the male white conductors that i know personally i don't know a single one that isn't enthused by the prospect of the podium becoming 50 50 male female right so right now the white male conductors that i know um and i'm thinking of specific people are actually promoting and hope and and trying to give opportunities to To female conductors, so I mean, there's there's a zillion reasons why. Getting specific is, is is a big is is a big answer. But I know that the you know just in short, like the guys that I know that are conducting right now are really happy to see more women on the podium. That said, I have seen you know I said with regards to myself and race, you know I don't know what people are you know saying with regards to conducting. I'm not really worried about it. But I have seen female conductors have the most unbelievable things said to them just I can't even like not only would I not say it on the show but even if I was in a company of four or five people I would be I would feel uncomfortable repeating what I've what I've heard people say to female conductors just absolutely incredible and I think um as a you know as a black gay male conductor I still hold male privilege and also with regards to being a black conductor, a black musician in classical music, I still hold conductor privilege. So that might be one of the reasons why some of those things are skirted by me cuz oh, oh you're a conductor. Ooh, ah. Right? Um you you do get that. So in terms of the women, I think we need to see we absolutely need to see more women on the podium. And I think we need to ask ourselves, starting with me, now, how do I really feel about women on the podium? Is it actually different? Why is it different? And you know, if you're to put on a recording, sorry, if you're put on a recording of Ein by Strauss and say, is this a man conducting or a woman conducting? Hmm, I don't think you'd actually be able to tell, obviously. Um, it's the strength of the interpretation that matters. So, to what degree does uh, being a woman on the podium inhibit? inhibit a person's ability to get their interpretation across well for the trailblazers who are doing it right now it probably does inhibit a little bit even if it's still seen as a novelty oh there's a woman on the podium does that change things a little bit yeah so what we need is just to continue 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 putting women on the, women on the podium um forcefully and giving them absolutely every opportunity such that for the next generation of torontonians kids in the gta that grow up it's absolutely normal to see a woman in a hijab uh in in hijab conducting an orchestra or playing violin or that's just that's just totally normal and then in 50 years then we'll have achieved some sort of change um and i don't want to say normalization because it is normal Mm -hmm. but just regular there we go the regularization of seeing women on the podium is what we need right um when we did the disruptor conductor uh the disruptor conductor documentary um guide there are three like did you know dear listener gentle listener that there are three women who are music directors in canada well there are you know melanie leonard uh in Sudbury is one of my great friends fantastic conductor look her up melanie leonard look at her work you know there are women who are working we just don't know about it i can't remember what the question was exactly but i hope that i've answered it somehow you, you blew it out of the water uh daniel that was amazing can i interrupt like I think also why I feel strongly about it and why it's regular for me is that uh, my junior high school band teacher, Nicole Haycock, is is the reason that I'm here giving you this interview. Because in grade nine, I was playing two, but I was going to go into car design. I wanted to design car interiors for Audi. I still kind of do want to design car interiors for Audi. Anyway, anyways, a, car interior design is a whole... Love of my life, Uh, but she's like, you know, I think you should do music. I think you should do music in high school. And I listened to her. And if she didn't say it, if she hadn't had that relationship with me where I would listen to her, I wouldn't be here. And then Mallory Thompson was an incredible conductor. One of best, like one of my best, some of my best musical experiences were being conducted by Mallory Thompson. Um, so I had these incredible women in my life that w- that were fantastic conductors, and in the wind band world where I grew up, it's really regular.
0: Amazing. We will definitely uh, either in person or on this podcast be talking about your car interior designing alternative life.
1: I have such passion. I mean, I'm very you know moderate and measured talking about like there's my job, blah blah blah. But when it gets to car interiors, it's I'm just a seething
0: rage. That is amazing. I guess you can never predict uh, the full extent and the full spectrum of a person's. Um, character. I would never have guessed that uh, about you. New projects uh, in, in uh, 2021, post-COVID, What sort of, uh, uh, at the top of your list, of things you'd like to do with and without the TSO?
1: <laughs> I would like to conduct an orchestra in 2021. I mean, I just, I, I, I laugh because it's like, um, I would like to do any project. In a couple of hours, we'll find out how locked down we are, um, what we're going to be able to do. So, in 2021, um, in, in a funny way, I would like to work. That that's my go- that's my goal. Now, given everything comes back and yeah, blah blah blah, uh, what would I like to do? You know, I would like to do a mix. I would like to continue to do new weird um, concerts that are just I, I like doing you know weird concerts and new concerts and. Um, my music director in Kitchener who's the my boss previously Edwin Outwater he had a, a concert series called Intersections and he would do things like you know your brain on Beethoven and, and actually hook people up during a concert to i don't know ECGs or whatever technical medical i don't know big medical machines um, and you know measure their brain waves while they were listening to Beethoven in lo- in the concert you know um, just such a, such an innovative conductor. And he's one of my inspirations. And we have like a very friendly competition between ourselves to see, you know, who can do the next really cool thing um, because it makes it better for everybody. So I wanna do cool, weird concerts, the weirder the better. I wanna do concerts that are really integrated into different parts of the community. It'd be interesting to do a concert of Lebanese music with Dabki dancers. I think that'd be really fun. Do some more Bhangra concerts. Um, that stuff is really, I, I really I really enjoy that because Trinidad is is Indian right? Indian and black. So, you know, like Tassa drums and stuff like that, that'd be really cool. Uh, and then the next quarter, we have two quarters left. So that's like dividing into four quarters. Uh, the next quarter would be, I really enjoy new music. So just like really funky new music. Uh, I guess Schoenberg isn't new music, but, but new music concerts with new composers, stuff that's being composed today is really, really interesting and fun. And I really enjoy conducting it because instead of you know, having an orchestra that's played uh, a Brahms symphony literally seventy times in their life, you're both you, you and the orchestra are going on a journey together to, to, together to discover a new piece of music and the composers. There, it's like it's like bringing a child to life, and that is very exciting. And then I would also just I just love doing you know the Bach, the Beethoven, uns Brahms, alles sowas. I love all of that. Um, so I want to do, um some some masterworks concerts i have a couple coming up next year that hopefully won't be cancelled um and just the big wonderful orchestral works that we know and that we love um in in the regular orchestral setting um this is something that's that's interesting people when they hear us talking about you know diversity um they think that we're talking about losing um canon yeah losing the canon and I'll be out the door if we lose the canon. I mean, that's why, I'm he- that's why I'm here, right? That's why I'm here. So it's absolutely not about that. And what's funny, actually, is I have a, another friend who's of color, Danuk Wadjarane Wajir- from Sri Lanka. Um, he's an incredible Canadian composer. We both studied at Royal Northern College of Music together. And sometimes we almost feel like Beethoven apologists. like okay we can you know because we are because we're musicians of color okay we can defend the canon um so we have been which is great um but it's it's a really really interesting time that we are in right now with regards to that so okay so that's basically what i would like to do you know expand education concerts weird concerts regular like traditional concerts and new music so and just generally work
0: Amazing. And as we like to close things up here uh, on remote and by we, I mean me, I'm the only one doing this.
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, What are you listening to uh, or watching uh, at the moment? Oh, okay. So I just recently discovered Schitt's Creek. Um, And I don't know how I missed this, but this is a show where I have like, you know, I I haven't laughed out loud as much as I have in the past couple of, couple, couple of weeks just watching this show and there have been times where i have re- there's one scene in in season two that i rewound after like right after i saw it i rewound it eight times this 10 second slot just to watch the facial expressions of the characters like individually because they're all so good reading i've been reading um urban yalom loves executioner he's a psychodynamic therapist and he writes stories about the therapy that he does with clients which has been really good uh, reading a book in uh, Francais about Valery Gergiev and his career, which just makes me respect him even more. Um, and that's been really fun. And then reading a little bit of Slavoj Žižek, who's a philosopher that I really, really enjoy, who's at times incomprehensible, but is really, really fun. And yeah, and then car magazines. I love I love cars and I'm thinking about getting maybe a, like switching over to electric. So I'm deciding about that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. quite the eclectic uh, reading list that you've got, Irvin. uh Yalom is one of my favorites have you read when Nietzsche wept by him
1: no I've read all of his I've read all of his nonfiction, mm-hmm. like all of like even the ma- like the manual like psychodynamic therapy manuals and stuff like that but I have not read when Nietzsche wept wait ho- actually hold on what's the maybe I have
0: the well the front cover if I remember correctly is the back of a man in a bowler hat if that rings a bell yeah because it's fiction yeah. It, it it's fiction but it's like historical fiction um yeah yeah anyways uh, i didn't really think i'd meet someone uh, on this side of the atlantic who is a fan of uh yalom yeah um, and
1: lastly what have you been listening to uh okay so what i've been listening to lately i've been listening to a lot of um rehearsals actually um I've been watching – what I'll do is, like, take a specific conductor and kind of study them a little bit. So I've been studying Valery Gergiev and just looking at his work um, and watching him in rehearsals. Sorry, lot- to inter- sorry to interrupt there. Um, what do
0: you think of Valery's – because he usually doesn't use a, a, a conductor's wand. Yeah. He, yeah, he – like, that's always – it's always interesting when people decide on things like that. It's like the one instrument that the entire world
1: recognizes your profession by, you yeah. decide to go without it. What are your thoughts on, on Valerie? Some conductors prefer to work with, some prefer to work without. And basically, it's a matter of how they feel they can best express, how they how they can best communicate with the audience. So for some, um, it amplifies their message and their meaning, and for others, they feel that it diminishes it. What I think would be interesting, anybody who's watching this, um, take a look at rehearsals, because that is where the conductor is really giving their vision. So, what sometimes seems like somebody, you know, just waving their arms in an in, in eccentric fashion, even, when you watch the rehearsal and see, understand the process of why they're doing what they're doing, um, it makes a lot more sense. Right. And you'll understand, oh, this is actually one of the the problems of being a conductor is you see a conductor do something on a video, but you don't know if the orchestra is doing the thing that they're doing because of the conductor's motion or in spite of the conductor's motion. And when you watch a rehearsal, you can see how those two things come together. Right. So basically, I've been listening to a lot of like lately Tchaikovsky and watching him like work with with Russian composers. Um, listening to Anna Meredith is, is a new composer, new, a new classical composer. It's been doing lots and lots of really, really rhythmically, sonically interesting music and just really loving her a lot. And then and Stevens is the soundtrack of my life in some, in some ways, in some periods of uh, the, the Christmas album. Um, <laughs> Cause I start, I start celebrating Christmas, November 1st and it ends around January 31st. So <laughs> I'm one of those people, it's three months of the year celebration for me. Um Sebastian Stevens and Dave Matthews are some of my pop interests. Yeah. A lot of Russian composers for me. It was early, earlier in COVID it was Bach. Um, yeah. But it's been a lot of Russian composers lately.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense. When chaos breaks out in the streets, uh, it's nice to have an like a slightly arithmetic composer playing in the air, yeah. Uh, just to add some logic and uh, and some structure, yeah. Daniel, I have very thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. I really would love to have you back, post COVID, back uh, when uh, uh, you know life is normal and uh, as you would like to do uh, uh, after you've conducted a couple things. I would really, really. Uh, love to have you back here. So thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Michael. It's great talking with you.